What up? What up? What up? We're back. We're back on the Av. We are back on the Av. We have been on the Av. We continue to be on the Av. And we will always be on the Av. Thank you for joining us on the Av. My name um, is Kid Oso. And I am Christopher Robin. Uh, but not to be confused with the skinny white twink who has an obsession with bears. I am brown and have an obsession with bears. I think at yeah, some point everybody needs it. to everybody needs to come to the conclusion that, you know, once that cold weather hits Listen, they, they all come they all twink. come running. They all come running to the bears. Nobody wants to hug a twink or a twig. And in the words of Monique, skinny bitches are evil. <laughs> What's going on with you? How's life? How's how's the babies? Uh, babies are doing great. Uh, I had a really funky situation yesterday involving a birthday party at a trampoline park that went a little pear-shaped, but, you know, everybody came out of the other end all right. I'm very happy Aww. with how much fun they had. So It went Amy Schumer? Wow. No, that girl's not pear-shaped. She's just cereal box-shaped now. <laughs> oh, not cereal box. We, we don't body shame. We are a, a body-positive podcast. We, we are a body positive. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the disclaimer there. Is like, I have, I'm, listen, I'm not rocking a six-pack. I'm not doing the Marvel superhero diet. I'm okay with that. But you know what I'm not okay right. with? Insane Zionists that get away with a lifetime of saying shitty racist things and uh now coming to get their ass handed to them a la sarah silverman listen, listen you know who also has a history of doing problematic racist shit and we'll get back to to the party uh tina fey that Ooh. woman has made her career off of terrible stereotypes about black people about queer people sometimes about women but we we can talk about that another time anyway tell me about your kids i kind of want to talk about that now maybe we'll dedicate a whole episode to uh to mean girls and how fucked up that that entire franchise is yeah whoa we can do it. mean girls you were thinking that i was kind of like i was thinking just about 30 rock like 30 rock wild well, it started series. It started with Mean Girls, then it went into 30 Rock, and then it finished with uh, Kimmy Schmidt. But we, we can devote an entire episode to the the perils of Tina Fey. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm going to be fully honest here. I, I do love Tina Fey. Problematic fave. Like, I think that there's a lot more hits than there are misses in 30 Rock, but... Now, like thinking about it and having like caught up on the first season again after all these years a lot, <laughs> lot of big big whiffs well I support your terrible choices listen we all have to support each other's terrible choices at one time or another but like I said that's a, that's a whole conversation we can have another time and I'm more than happy to work the party yes so <laughs> my son, very young, likes uh, playing with the older kids and trying to impress them, you know, as young boys are wont to do. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, he took a pretty hard spill. Now, in the middle of him taking the hard spill, my daughter, who is much smaller, 
having a good old time. Just jumping from trampoline to trampoline, face plant after face plant. Gets snatched up by some hot Cheeto loving little Baba Yaga child who grabs oh. who grabs Lindsay her. Lohan tried to steal your child? Yo, Lindsay Lohan tried to steal my child. It was crazy <laughs> too. Cause she looks Sorry, over everything at everything comes back to mean girls. <laughs> God, I hope not. Um she looks at me, goes, Can I go play with your daughter? I said, I'm trying to get her to find my son. And she goes, Okay. And then walks away with my daughter anyway, going, Your son is fine, his friends are with him. And I was just like I, I Yikes. I'm a father. I when I say something, like that's kind of the law for me. I don't care what you do, but if I'm telling my daughter, hey, you got to get your brother and come over here, you know, send them my way. So anyway, she's over in the corner kikiing with a bunch of other uh, little girls. My son is in the corner, like, spine Mortal Kombat bent. (laughs) He, He finally gets up, comes over to me, and he's just like, I fell. And I was just like, yeah, I saw you fall. Are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, can you go get your sister so I can take you guys to the bathroom and, and check you guys up? Okay, goes over to her. The girls start arguing with my son about giving her back to me. Now, wait. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Once again, I must state, I'm a I'm a parent. <laughs> like I'm a damn parent to three children, and I'm getting like sunned by these three little white girls who just refuse to give my daughter back. So finally, they both point in my direction. I wave to all of them. They go, oh, okay, and send her back my way. Like, if a boy that knows a little girl that you're playing with's name and you don't know that little girl's name, I'm pretty sure he has, like, seniority over you with that child. (laughs) Like, I don't, like... I don't presume to know kid politics. I try not to get involved in them because I think it's important for uh, kids to do their own problem solving. Like, I'll intervene if it gets, like, too bad, but this was not one of those times. Mm. And that's pretty much how my how my weekend went. Well, sounds like you were off to a wonderful start. Yeah, I gotta say, it's really... Uh, it really put my, like confidence as a parent in a whole new light because I'm just like, am I the father? Am I just some jerk who, wa- who like drives these kids to parties? Like, Do I have authority? I, well, like, well, kinda. Yeah, as soon kinda. as they turn like 13, 14, yeah, kinda. Ugh, it feels like it now honestly with my oldest because he just, everything with him is like now a whole conversation. Like, hey, I need you to go pick up some uh, some of your toys and he's just like, well, you know, I was actually thinking about, and I'm just like, that's so great that you were thinking. Go pick up those toys, please. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, that was pretty much how <sighs> my week has been. How was yours? My week is going all right. Um, things are, are, are things are going. Um, I I have a, a problem um, that I don't know if I should talk about publicly, but I'll try and be as detailed but also vague as possible. Mm-hmm. I have a problem, but it's a good problem, which, you know, is, is really interesting. Um, 
you know, I, I told you a few episodes back that I, I was in the process of changing industries and I've been doing two jobs simultaneously. Um, and I'm so sorry. No, I, honestly, it's been, it has been a really fun, fun experience. Um, and I, I like both companies and I, I'm, I'm enjoying both companies, but both companies really enjoy me and it you know in a in a very short time both employers have wanted to promote me and you know love that journey for me like uh more money is great but it's also just like putting me in a really awkward position because i'm doing sort of 70 30 with one over the other and and as a freelancer, I don't have health benefits, and the one that I'm doing 30% off, 30% off, Lord, uh, the one that I'm doing 30% at wants to give me benefits. They want to make me full-time. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm in this awkward space, and I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I do, do the full-time and, and, you know, get the benefits and think sort of short-term, um, which also is sort of long term as well but or do I stick with the one who sort of wanted me to move up within the company first and you know it's just it's it's a lot of like opportunity happening in a really short amount of time and and I'm I'm sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place I don't I I don't want to I don't want to say no to either place but I know that I can't give a hundred percent of my time to either so it's well just, if you it's aim sort of if you aim for a promotion at one i can only assume that it's going to make things harder at the other yeah um but the the problem is you know like i said i'm i'm freelance but i'm i'm working five days a week at one place and that's taken up all of my time whereas i can't you know, devote much to the other place and the other place wants to promote me. Like I said, good problem to have, but it's still a problem and I don't know what I should do. And it's weighing really heavy on me because I I just, I don't want to seem unreliable or that like I took a promotion and didn't like plan to st- stick around or, you know, I, when right. it could have gone to someone else. It's just all of these opportunities are happening at the same time, and I just don't know what to do. And it's, like I said, good problem to have, but still a problem. And I'm going to be real with so. you. The, the benefits one is the one. I mean, like, I'm also, I think I'm speaking as a, as a parent at this point, but, like, the benefits one is, I think that one's calling your name, you know? Yeah, I've, sp- I've spoken to a few people about it, and everyone says the same thing. Like, I spoke to my mom, I spoke to my, my fiancé, I've spoken to uh-huh. a few people, and everybody's like, yeah, uh, do you know how hard it is to get benefits if you uh-huh. don't take that position? Uh-huh. Especially when you're, like, if you're, not in a, if you're not in a field where you're basically guaranteed benefits and someplace where, like, you know, if you work at a at a company where like they may consider giving you benefits or still try to play the like you said you're a freelancer and like you know they might be like oh well you know freelancers you may be full-time but you're not like you know you're contracted with us you're not necessarily part of the of the company right like you know you like i said it, at the end of the day you you should consider you first but that that dad part of me is going like 
benefits. Yeah. So, again, good problem to have, but still a problem. And I, I, I don't want to say no to either place. I just, I just keep looking left and right and and, and weighing the options and adulting. Am I right? Are, well. <laughs> Because you're freelance, are they aware that you're uh, at other places, or...? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe so. you could also use that for leverage, just saying. Like, if you're feeling a little bit, uh, ballsy. Well, well, here's the other thing. that the, the one place that promoted me first, I'm a very rare case. Like, I had only been working there for about a month before they decided they wanted to promote me. Uh, and company policy is like they don't promote within a if they don't promote someone who hasn't been in a position for at least a year oh and i got promoted with them within a month so i'm like oh what do i do do i you know thanks for this really rare opportunity but also i need to go with the people that are going to pay me more and give me benefits like you know it's just it's this it's this weird dynamic and i don't know I don't know. Uh, if I could uh, intervene again. It may be an historic moment for them as a company to have someone so uh, recently hired to uh, receive a promotion. But unless that is going to reflect in your pay or in what they have you doing versus the pay, you know, if, if that's going to reflect on you uh, within the job dynamic in a good way, like, it, it, you know, to your advantage, I should say, uh, yeah. then that's when you should feel a little bit more conflicted about it. But if it's not, if it's not going to do anything for you, I wouldn't take them being like, oh, you're so new and, and we never do this. That's like, that feels like a setup if they're not reflecting that in what you're getting offered. I'm just, that's just me. Yeah. Someone else said the same thing. So... Anyway, it's just it's I'm 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 weighing the scales and seeing what works best and it looks like yeah, I, I'm not making a decision. I I also haven't been offered a position, so I still have to, you know, do an interview for it and I I'm not going to make any decisions uh until you know, at the very least I I take the interview, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interview's not going to hurt. So yeah, that's what's going on with me. Well, hell yeah! You know, I'm I'm, I'm proud yeah. of you. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm glad that uh, people are finding you more desirable. Well, so, and I'll I'll try and wrap this up really quickly. It it's also a thing. Like, I was at a company for almost four years, and after three years, basically my boss, on a daily basis, would tell me that I wasn't shit. And nice. I guess we can we can like expand on this to how you know corporations are terrible to their employees, but you know f on more or less a daily basis, um, I came back from from COVID and was in a new space and like working pretty much hand in hand with my my direct supervisor, um, who I had never worked with before for the first three years of my my tenure there. Anywho, um, yeah, for for. The following year after that, on a daily basis, she told me how much I was, how terrible I was at my job. And it, it really, it really fucked with me because for three years, number one, I had never had a conversation with you. 
Number two, everybody else that I worked with told me how much I was, how good I was. So it really fucked with me because I was like, wait, am I really? Has everyone just been lying to me? Like, this person is obviously in a position of power. Like, you haven't made it to the, like, haven't made it to the director level in a company without some level of knowledge, right? So you must be smart at what you do. So if you're telling me that I'm shit, then I clearly must be shit. Um, but it, like I said, it really fucked me because in the back of my head, I was like, no, I know I'm good. I, I know all of these, these processes and policies like the back of my hand. So I walked out of there. They, they, I asked for a raise in December by May, they had fired me. Oh, lovely. And I walked out of there like, huge weight off my shoulders i was doing the job of four people the nerve of you to ask for a raise right um after working there for three years but i worked i walked out with two feelings one oh my god i don't have to come back to this toxic motherfucking place ever again (laughs) amazing but also i walked out of there with this level of imposter syndrome like i actually i do remember we were we were chatting about this um, I think around the time it happened, honestly, because you had you had been you had been really down on yourself, and I had done a little checkup yeah. on you. Yeah, right, right. And I slipped into this really bad depression that that I'm sort of finally working my way out of. Um, but it's so hard to to you know get that that monkey off your shoulder. This you know your voice tells you you're good but then there's this other voice in your head that's screaming even louder Mm. and it's hard to push that away so i say all that to say you know i'm finally in a in a position you know having come out of that situation and now i'm in this new position where two different companies are telling me i'm great at what i do to the point where they have basically changed their policy for me like that's such a mind fuck so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm also taking it really hard because I'm like, I don't want to disappoint one place over the other when they're, they both see my potential and, and all of these things. So it's just, it's this really weird place to live when people want your talent and, and, and expertise. It's different. Yeah. So yeah, it's but, just, it's weird. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you, but like you see, you see what happens is that somebody that doesn't know what they have treats you the way that they do because they either think they can get away with it or they know that they can take advantage of you because of the person that you are at that point in your life. And now look, you have two people that are showing to you how they value you. Yeah. And the fact that you're stuck between two people, uh, you know, maybe they don't know it, but they're basically vying for your attentions and talents yeah and now now where's that person that that screwed you probably miserable shit she's she's at home with her four cats fucking bitch sorry there you go i still have i still have a little bit of resentment towards that lady but listen (laughs) and you're and you're perfect you're you're perfectly normal for having that resentment because these are the type of people that don't remind you who you are they remind you how negative people will see you. Petty me really wants me wants to say her name on this podcast, but I'm please don't. not trying to get us sued. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm not trying to get us sued. I have I have literally I have literally no money except the money that I uh put food on the table for my kids and and the 
and the bills that I pay. <laughs> I'm good. But <laughs> please don't do but this. My, my, my friends know who we're talking about. It's an interesting place to reside now. So yeah, that's what I'm dealing with. Anywho, I gotta say that's a pretty good thing to be dealing with. It's a, it's a good problem to have. Much but better than having your child stolen by the plastics. Touche. <laughs> Perspective, right? Perspective. Perspective. Anyway. So how are we well, feeling? Last week of Black History Month. Last week of Black History Month. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's it may be the last week of Black History Month on paper, but... It's never the end know, for you. Niggas be shining all day, every day. So. Shining. Um bright like a diamond <laughs> speaking of diamonds uh like the forehead of mario winans I, I don't know what this rap is you're doing i don't know either i just started and i couldn't stop myself okay are are we about to move into like an uh an Issa ray like mirror bitch moment i would really rather not <laughs> oh god um listen i let well, the, i yes, let the talented professionals uh they can do that Speaking speaking of which, I genuinely want Issa Rae to release a rap album. I think, like, Sis got bars. Really? She She's very talented. Like, she uh, a few years ago, um, she did uh, just, like, a TikTok or whatever with Regina Hall. Uh-huh. And Regina Hall, Regina Hall was good, but, like, Issa Rae, like, jumped in, and it was, like, straight bars. I just I can't wait until she releases like her own rap album. Issa, if you're listening and like it would warm my heart if you were, please release a rap album. A mixtape, uh an LP something. We I would be first in line. I'm gonna be honest. I listen, I'm gonna try and be very normal about this. Hello, Issa Ray. You're wonderful. Um, what's up? Uh like I said, I'm trying to be real normal about this. You're a very talented woman. Oh, God. I hope you never stop doing things. Like, do all the things. Don't let these weird do executives get you things. down. Don't let, don't do let any of these of people things. get you down. Just release a mixtape. Specifically for me. Even if it's just for me. I will yes. spend Only for all Christopher. The money. Nobody else. Yeah. Stuff in Black History. What has happened in the world of us? Um, so, on this day in 1989... Mike Tyson won the heavyweight championship against Frank Bruno, which you and know, it's, pretty big, pretty big deal. Um, yeah, cementing himself as one of the greatest. Uh, and and then other things happened almost immediately after that. Uh, it, so, so can I? Then he went on to like bite a man's ear off and tattoo his face. But you know, among other, who things, hasn't done that? Uh, not nice things that he may or may not have gone to prison for. Did he go to prison? Yes. Oh. See, I'm only thinking of the good things. Pos- positive vibes in Black History. Yeah, let's keep it positive. Um, but I, I will I will uh, kind of throw the asterisks that we are aware of the criminal wrongdoings of Mike Tyson, uh, although we are promoting positivity for this segment. Oh, right, because he... Uh-huh. Lila Rashawn. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's right. right. There you go, there you go. Damn. Damn. Yeah, it happens. But we got another Mike boxer. Mike Tyson in sports is a great person. We'll say that. Yeah, but we do have another boxer, one who has not done stuff like that and went to prison for it. Uh, Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali, 
defeats Sonny Liston for the first time in 1964. Uh, not the last time that he would defeat Sonny Liston because we all know the famous photograph is actually the next year their rematch. Uh, which is it really? Yes, yes. Uh, you know the oh, you know nice. everybody knows the photo. Yeah, of Muhammad Ali. It's the photo. Order. It's the photo. Yeah, you really, you know, if you've ever heard of Muhammad Ali, that photo immediately comes to mind. But you know, Cassius Clay, aka Muhammad Ali. If you'll permit me, um, one of my favorite quotes and the reason that he uh, ended up going to prison for dodging the draft, ain't no Vietnamese ever call me that word. Wait, what? Do you not know that? Like it was like one of his no. famous things. The reason the reason he was protesting the Vietnam War, uh, and he went to prison over dodging the draft. He right. said specifically he was like, "Ain't no Vietnamese ever call me the N word." Um, oh, I'm going to right. I'm going to be discretionary because, although I am a raised Puerto Rican New Yorker, uh, we drop N bombs as much as any other black person from the state. But in the interest of being respectful to out-of-state listeners that don't find that something to be comfortable about, I'm going to be kind. If only Lin-Manuel Miranda would follow suit. Lin-Manuel Miranda's I, dropped N-bombs? No way. I don't know. I'm Allegedly, I'm totally making that up. <gasps> that would actually be kind of funny because that man is so... Like, he's so soft. Like I can't imagine that word coming out of his mouth. Like... He he seems like he would like let out like an audible gasp if he heard it. You know what? That tracks. <laughs> that does track. I mean, Blame I know on. you Cash know he's heard it before. It's just like you know he has to like if he's in front of his his little white friends, he's got to do the. <gasps> <laughs> I can all, I can envision it. I can see it in my brain. Oh, Lin Manuel Miranda. Anywho, um, in other news, uh. John Singleton on this day in 1992 was nominated for Best Director for Boys in the Hood. Fantastic film. Also being the first black director to be nominated for a directing Academy Award. Fantastic work. Yeah. I've seen Boys in the Hood once a long time ago, but you know, in like top top 25 like most influential black films i feel like it's probably top 10 it's actually kind of crazy like looking at his uh looking at his filmography like all the money that he put into making like black led cinema like boys in the hood poetic justice higher learning shaft baby boy Four Brothers, right. yeah, he Too did Fast, Too Furious. Boy. He did Too Fast, Too Furious? Isn't that crazy? Okay, so here's the thing. Think about it Think about it this way. Fast and the Furious, very, like, L.A. kind of more leaning towards a, a Cholo street racing vibe. Too Fast, Too right. Furious? Like, we're talking, like, Ludacris, Tyrese. Like, very obviously a much blacker film. Um, uh-huh. Uh... Hmm. And it's the last time it ever did that because then they did Tokyo Drift, which was garbage. It had to be that the original vision was get different directors to do different street racing scenes. Right. Because when I think of, like when I think of Too Fast, Too Furious, for whatever reason, my companion piece to that is, do you remember uh, Biker Boys? Absolutely. I love Hell that yeah. film. Okay. So like for me, like like those two are like companion pieces to each other of more of like a... Um, <sighs> They like, came out the same year, I think. Did they? 
Yeah, I think Biker Boys came out first. I think Biker Boys came out in... And I'm totally making this up, but if I remember correctly, I think Biker Boys came out in March, and Too Fast, Too Furious came, in up, came out in July. I could totally be making this up. Well, the reason that I always viewed it as, as like a companion piece is just they just both have very similar energy in how like those street races are uh, portrayed. And I feel like John Singleton directing Too Fast, Too Furious had a lot to do with that. Like there's just something about like, um, you know, when you know, when you can tell that somebody's directed something like you can tell when something is directed by Hitchcock or when something is directed mm-hmm. by Kubrick, there's there's uh, flavors uh, certain accents that are placed in movies, and I feel like Singleton has that vision. Like, there's a very, um, there's a very specific way that he uh, films nightlife, and maybe it has something to do with. And I'm sure that you're familiar with this as a black man who's done photography. There's a certain way mm-hmm. to light people of color versus white people. Yes, and like you know, oh, bringing... I could talk for hours about lighting black people in entertainment but continue now see this is where this is where singleton his cinematographers uh this is where you can tell that they have the vision because like those colors they pop a lot more like uh i always say that like the fast and the fury the first fast and furious movie feels a lot more uh beige sepia yeah like they're yep but like too fast too furious is such like there were a lot of yellows yes there's a night there's like a night move like you know uh I don't know what else to call it besides nightcore. Like, there's, like, a mm-hmm. nightcore aspect to John Singleton movies that you can tell that, like, he loves filming a night scene because there's, like, contrasts yeah. that you can do uh, that yeah. really works, especially with, like, uh, like all the more colorful cars that they add in Too Fast, Too Furious. Like, you know, there's more neon uh, cars. I believe that Devin Aoki is in it, isn't she? Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. Like, She's Suki. Yeah, yeah. That, fu- that fucking hot pink car, like... Oh my god! Like you know, like I icon- like iconic the way that he filmed that film. Yeah, there were a lot of complementary colors. Like like there were a lot of yellows. Ludacris and and, and Tyrese. Yellow is is complementary on our skin tone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's re- really interesting. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I know that we were going to talk about a whole bunch of other things with like you know the accolades of John Singleton, but now like. I feel weirdly focused on this Too Fast, Too Furious thing because it seems it seems so obvious that uh, Too Fast, Too Furious was like trying to get more uh, of a black audience into the movie. I mean, I absolutely can talk all day about the Fast and Furious franchise. I own every single one of them on Blu-ray. Why? So, you know, we can do that. Yeah, okay. That's, but that, that is really, really interesting. Yeah, I never I never noticed that. Um, I, I need but you to I know did just obsessed with this now. <laughs> I did look it up, um, and I was off by a month. Uh, Biker Boys came out in January of 2003. Too Fast, Too Furious came out in June of 2003. Still, though, like you were, listen, you were yeah. in the same year. Like, there's a very I was obvious... only a month off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a movie that came out 21 years ago. <laughs> no, why would you say that? Why you gotta me. Do, why you got to do the numbers? Uh, why do you have to do the numbers for that? <laughs> I was, I was, I was only five at the time. Ah, uh, yes, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to John Singleton, first black director to be nominated for uh, an Oscar. As I was looking him up, and and it it left my head for a little bit, but when I looked him up, I was reminded that he passed in 2019 from a stroke. He was only 51 years old, and and. Like, what a way to go out. Yeah, well, so, I mean... Rest, rest in peace, John Singleton. 
you know, I I know that you wanted to touch on this as well, but this kind of goes to losing black actors, directors, artists, people in the arts, I should say, at such an early age when, you know, they very clearly have more to give. And even though yeah. John Singleton had been more of a producer, you know, taking his hands off the steering wheel to uh, allow other uh, black visionaries to achieve their goals. You know, it still says a lot that when you lose somebody like that, that kind of like worked really hard in the industry to get to where they are and then not pull the ladder up after them to lose them right. so early. I don't know. Like, it feels like a betrayal of nature almost. Like, just, you know, you take the good ones and you leave us with, I don't know, <laughs> Blueface. <laughs> oh, not Blueface. Ruin this podcast talking about Blueface. Uh, no, no, no. We don't have to do that anymore. I'm just, I'm just using an example of, <laughs> you know, these equivalent exchanges, like men that put out this positive yeah. energy in the world. Uh, yeah. Especially, like, you know, uh, John Singleton, one of the people to get actual black stories out there. Absolutely, yeah. And, like, real stories. Like, and I know we talked about Tyler Perry a few episodes ago, but, like, the the, the juxtaposition of Tyler Perry to, to to John Singleton, like, everything Tyler Perry did or does is from this really, like, toxic lens. And it, a lot of it is just fantasy, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of what Tyler Perry does is fantasy and can be classed under that genre, whereas John Singleton, like, Roman Pierce in in Too Fast Too Furious was a real person, and we we can say what we want about Ty, Ty, uh, Tyrese, but he was in the 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 prison system. Like to to highlight those real stories is really important, um, and a lot of times we don't see that with these really big directors, like Tej. Tej was he went to jail for gambling or something like that? Okay. Not gambling. Uh, uh, hacking. I just find it really interesting the dynamic characters that John Singleton brings to the screen. It's really interesting. Well, I mean, you know, and <laughs> it's funny too because now that you're now that you brought up Tyler Perry, I'm also thinking about uh, what you had said about Kenya Barris and something that at at the very least that three that these three men have in common is that you know they they gave black people jobs like real jobs, uh, being in the yeah. director's seat being in the lead roles being you know cinematographers like you know crew up and down you know um yeah these these three men all were able to achieve that in their careers and although you know kenya barris and tyler perry continue to do that and you know we could criticize them for cultural differences but you know positive or negative they are they are doing the work to make sure that Hollywood stays aware that uh, black people also inhabit this space. Yeah. Like I said, listen, yeah. positive, positive or negative, at the end of the day, uh, you know... Black people have jobs. Even if y'all still ain't give Taraji her money. Oof. Well, that's a... We can write a book about that one. Pay her. I still ain't giving Taraji her... Pay Taraji P. Henson, please. Yo, you kidding me? Taraji... You couldn't pay Taraji? Well, she, remember uh, the the story was that uh, Tyler Perry paid her the most she has ever been paid. But did you pay her her worth? Nope. 
you could say the pay, the, the, the most you've been paid. For me, the most I've been paid is and I'm insert a fake number because I'm not telling y'all how much I've been paid. But <laughs> you know, not enough. Not for Taraji. Like that woman could act. You, she could have been paid five dollars for every movie, until and then Tyler Perry came along and paid her ten. That doesn't mean that she was paid the one hundred that she's owed. You know. Yeah. So anyway. Um, we can, we can talk about that another time. Um, what else has happened? Uh, Nat King Cole passed away today. Big shame. The, the, the golden voice, as they called him, who produced Natalie Cole, who's a a national treasure. Um, Is she? But yeah. I mean, I think so. Okay. I believe you. I think one of the best voices to come out of like you know the the mid 90s or early to mid 90s yeah i think natalie cole is national treasure Um, i need you to know i needed to i needed to do a quick checkup of uh natalie cole because i can't possibly remember every uh soul singer from the 70s but yeah you got it you're right wait did i get that wrong natalie cole she's from the 70s yeah she's from the 70s yeah damn well, drag me. I only remember hearing her stuff in the 90s. You know what it is? It's because um, a, a, there's a lot of uh, singers from that era that their, maybe not their careers necessarily, but their songs got uh, brought back. There was like this weird uh, like swing, big band, soul revival sort of happening all in that era. You know, yeah, uh, yeah it, was a, it was a weird time. Uh, the 90s were very... Very very weird time. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but I yeah, mean, you wouldn't Nat, know anything Nat, about that because you're you're too young. You're a you're a two thousands baby. Right. I, right. I was born in two thousand and nineteen ninety nine. I was born yeah, in nineteen ninety nine. You were born in nineteen ninety nine. Definitely not a different year. I I remember hearing all of Natalie Cole's music in nineteen ninety nine. Yep. When I was born. Um, Probably in the Mary Kate <laughs> and Ashley movie. Oh. Oh. What's your favorite Mary Kate and Ashley movie? Does it, let's, let's pivot slightly. Oh, uh, it takes two, obviously. Oh, is it? Mine is um, uh, New, New York Minute. And, oh, my uh, God. New York Minute. <laughs> New York Minute and uh, Double Bubble put Toil and Trouble. Is double bubble, yeah, yeah. Double bubble, toil and yeah. trouble is really cute too. Uh, I mean, I always liked it takes two because for me it was, um, it was that versus the Parent Trap, and I was just like, there's yeah. only one Lindsay Lohan, but we got a right. Mary Kate and Ashley over here. Do you know there's still people who don't realize that Lindsay Lohan is not a twin, just based off of that? They're like, wait, what do you mean? These weren't two people. No, L- Lindsay Lohan <laughs> is not a twin. Listen, the American education system has failed us all at some point in our lives. Um, Bush's mistake was not every, leaving every a child behind. Find, every day we find another child left behind. Every time. But and and clearly, I was one of them since I. Oh my god, it was from you. Nineties. Oh, I thought you were going to say, yeah, me too. I also thought Lindsay Lohan was a twin. <laughs> no, God no, God no. Um, but yeah, Nat, Nat King Cole passed. Uh, today and and you know what a legend and it it, it brings it makes me think of like and we talk, 
touched on this briefly, like all of the other like young-ish, you know, and I don't like to use the term middle-aged, but you know, because black people age like butter. Um, but yeah, it, it just makes me think of all the, the, the younger uh, black men who are passing away, who are in entertainment and, and who have like made impacts on like the entertainment industry and, and, you know, it just, it's really sad. Like Lance Reddick, this like one day he's making these amazing films, like voice acting for, for, uh, horizon. And, and he's like a staple in the, the John Wick series. And then the next we're getting a notification on our phone that he's gone. Like, I gotta say that one really hurt me a lot. It, it like, it really hurt. I want to. I want to give a shout out to all the, the. I I want to give a shout out to black men. You know, I I'm I stand black women every day, but I also want to give a shout out to black men who are are navigating this world and and just trying to exist. You know, we talked talked about like real stories that are on screen. You know, John Singleton putting these real stories on screen, like. Shout out to to the black men who are living the lives that these stories are inspired by. So, right, yeah. Um, Don't. since we're since we were talking about Nat King Cole, and you know, shout out to shout out to black people. One one big last time before the end of Black History Month, but yeah. let's talk about their Happy Bla- uh, Black History Month, black people. Happy Black History Month. Um, can we can we talk about crooning? Because as you know, as fantastic as I'm sure Nat King Cole was, and yes, he may have had a golden voice. I was never really a fan of like crooning singers. I was never really like a guy that goes for like the like the 40s, 50s slow stuff. Like I was always more like a like Fats Domino, Chubby Checker, like Chuck Berry, like the right. like you know like the faster stuff. Like I I I got to hear something yeah. like, you know, I I never I never once uh heard a little Richard song that couldn't be played in double time, you know? Right. But um what, uh, what's your yeah, experience crooning. with uh, crooning? Well, I know we just finished talking about uh, black history and black people, but my experience with crooning is Frank Sinatra. Is Frank Sinatra a crooner? I I think so. You know, he ha- he has he has his eras. Uh, there's crooning Frank okay. Sinatra. Then there's like big band uh, swing Frank Sinatra. Like he's got he's got uh, levels. I think. Okay. And like, you know, Frank Sinatra was was a little bit before my time because I was born in 1999. Um, of course. So my f- version of Frank Sinatra is Michael Buble. Oh God! Uh, don't first of all, don't ever say that again. But go on. <laughs> it's it's either Michael Buble or Josh Groban, and don't get me started on Josh Groban. I I have never despised the voice of a white man more than that of Josh Groban. Every time he opens his mouth, I like I get a a um, a visceral shudder down my spine every time I hear his voice and I I, I just much like Alicia Keys and, and like I don't want to detract from his talent like the man is talented like his voice is, is out of this world he can carry a note N- nothing against his talent but 
my god, I want him to close his mouth mouth forever. I, it just visceral shudder down my spine. It's okay. I go and, full and kill bill. Like, like, and they they cast him in. He was cast in in Sweeney Todd, which Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite Broadway musicals. Okay. Um, and because he was in it, oh, I think they also cast him in Into the Woods, and and Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods are two of my favorite musicals. And I was just like, so you mean I have to avoid going to see these shows because this man is in it? Somebody put raisins in the potato salad. I, I was just like, this is a personal attack on me specifically. I guess I, I just yeah. I'm not a musicals person, but I f- I feel your pain because. I, I have seen both of those um, at least in cinematic format and I've heard the mm-hmm. soundtracks for them like the not like the original ones but I think like whoever was running them at the time like you know they update the soundtracks once in a while I think they're they're both Sondheim that wouldn't shock me if they were both Sondheim yeah but I'm with you on that like there's just something about like hearing Josh Groban's voice where it's just like okay I recognize that you are singing all of the notes correctly, but my brain is being activated in a way that is like very fight or flight right now, and I'm leaning towards it fight. Hurts. It hurts, and and I I don't think Josh Groban has fans. Like, even though he does, I think they're lying. I also think they're lying. I think they are telling untruths. It is a conspiracy, <laughs> and they are telling lies. I Josh think Groban does not have fans. The number of Josh Groban fans, to me, equates to the number of Clay Aiken fans, where it's just like, oh. you're you're lying. I don't know why you're lying, but you're lying. But this can't be true. This can't be true. Now, let's double back. Michael Buble. Michael Buble, yeah. On the other hand, I believe, has like a very firm... He has a very firm grip on the hearts and cervixes of wine moms everywhere. Mm. I like I I appreciate his his presence. Um I think I've only ever liked one song that he's ever done. It's the the it's the one that he came out with in like 2007. Well, I don't I just haven't met you. Just yet. Have, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the only Michael Bublé song I like. Um, but yeah, he he has a very specific audience. Like much like, and, and I'll deviate slightly. Like I don't know who Coldplay makes music for. <gasps> Me. Oh, all right, girl. Um, well, okay. So I'll say a uh, a rush a rush of blood to the head. Very underrated album. I think that if you give it another chance, you'll find that you like Coldplay more than you thought you did. No, 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 no. I like Coldplay. I just don't know who they make music for. Like, like Harry Styles. Well, who does Harry Styles make music for? Well, we already went over that one originally. But I will say, like, if you want like a genuine like answer to who Coldplay makes music for, I feel like Coldplay makes music for people that kind of want that like th- like the deep sadness of emo without all of the hairspray that comes with it 
like they want to know that at the end of the day they can turn off the radio and continue on with their office job as opposed to making it an entire part of their personality like Coldplay is it's like uh it's like it's like diet it's like diet depression and not even like diet depression it's like great value depression actually yeah in, in terms of like value, as i just <laughs> did grocery shopping at Walmart. <laughs> uh, see, I I don't even believe that because as an emo kid from the 2000s because I was born in 1999. Uh-huh. Um I, I I don't maybe it's just me, but I don't think I ever identified or rather related uh Coldplay's music with like teen angst well it's or, not it's not teen angsty angst. teen drama it's more like it's more like uh but that's when a yeah. rush of blood to the head came out when we were teenagers yeah. so like i i like even then who who was if it wasn't for us who was the target audience for that album you i mean know? like i said me specifically because like you know I, when i was young like I kind of had this idealized version of uh, what longing means, like the concept of longing for someone, which doesn't make okay. sense when you're like eleven or twelve. But it's it was like a lifetime of like growing up on on like novelas and like television and books where there's a lot of like you know like damn you know there's this girl that I really like, but she's she's not interested in me. She doesn't like an artsy guy like me. And, you know, I can admit that that led to some more toxic behaviors that I'm not proud to talk about um, when I was growing up. But there's this radio, this radio rock uh, feeling of longing that I think that Coldplay always presented. And as much as people want to be like, that's not rock music. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, they got some hard stuff, you know, in 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 that album, <clears throat> and in the albums that uh, precede them. Uh, I still think that, like, even though it's like really soft, "Viva La Vida" still goes really hard to me for no reason. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know what it is. It's like as soon as, like, you know, like the when the violin comes in, you're just like, okay. And then he's like singing about being like Napoleon or whatever. And then like once that bass hits, like with the bass drum hits, it's like do do. I was just like, oh, okay, okay, we got a song now. Like, you know, there's a there's a there's a weird energy that they bring to the idea of longing that I think is uh, it's a little bit it's it's mature enough that you're not gonna like it as a teenager, but not so mature that you would consider it high high art as an adult. Is this your in defense of Coldplay segment? <laughs> uh not really. Uh music music I think I'm a lot more open to uh with interpretation over comics because you know there's only there's like only so many ways you can read a comic. Uh but with music there's like this infinite uh way of, of looking at a song like a single song many people can interpret a song differently like i know that i love uh i love death metal but if i played it for somebody that's not a death metal enjoyer it's going to be really hard uh as a sell but there's in-betweens you know like there's ways to get people to like those things with comics it's like i don't know i don't want i don't want to get on my scott summer soapbox again (laughs) not not this week (laughs) 
Well, so to bring it back to to Michael Bublé, like much like Coldplay, I I can't tell who the target audience for Coldplay music is. I I have a much better idea of who Michael Bublé makes music for, and it's white moms. It is very much it is very much white moms specifically. Oh white no, I said I said wine moms, wine moms, like oh. you know, like. I drink wine and I know well, things unironically. <laughs> so, white moms? Wow. Uh well, for me it's it's definitely like white housewives who you know, may or may not be cheating on their husbands because he's out at work. Also cheating on them. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that's 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 how I feel about Michael Bublé and and uh Josh Groban. I would like Josh Groban to go very far away for the rest of my days. Um, I feel that way about Michael Bublé. I don't know how that man has the accolades that he has. I always found him to be a really boring singer. You know, once again, like just because you can hit all the notes doesn't make you like a good singer. He it feels yeah. like he has no stage presence because there's more stage presence than wearing a tuxedo. Huh. I do. I do think he's charismatic. Do um, you? Yeah, I think there's something in his like little shoulder movements, and I think he he has he has some endearing qualities. Not many, but I think if I had like on my deathbed or like gun to my head and I had to choose between Michael Bublé and Josh Groban, it's Michael Bublé all day. Uh, is there a way for me to just not pick any ever? Um, I'm trying to think of a third option. Uh, no, I don't think so. Damn. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, okay, so I'm starting to think that maybe my disdain for Michael Buble has something to do with overexposure to him. Huh. Okay. I just... I have a friend who feels that way about Anita Baker, which I don't get it, but I go off, sis. I'm trying to envision a world where somebody gets overexposed to Anita Baker. I don't get it. I... How can she you claims, be overexposed to Anita Baker? Vehemently hates Anita Baker, like with a passion of a thousand hot red suns. And she she claims it's because when she was a kid, uh, her dad her dad loves jazz music, uh-huh. um, and when they would go on road trips or whatever, it was all that he would play. So she's like, "I'm an adult. I get to choose my music. I don't ever want to hear this in my lifetime again." And I'm like, "But it's Anita Baker." Yeah, I was gonna say like it's not like it's uh. I'm trying to think of somebody that one could be overexposed to. It's not like it's like Celine Dion or something, who I do respect, but... You think Celine Dion is overexposed? Or it's possible well, see, to be overexposed? See, because because you're because you're uh, born in 1999, you wouldn't know this. Right, right. But there was a time where you could not escape Celine Dion, so you weren't around uh, during the whole, like, Titanic insanity. Right, yeah, I've never seen that film or heard the song that came out of that that also may or may not have won a Grammy. Um, I don't know anything about that because I wasn't born yet. No, no. But, yeah, like, there's just, like, there's, like, so many other people that I would think of, and, like, but this also goes to uh, personal life experience. I was not exposed to Anita Baker like that growing up. My family was more of a, like a, like a, a Diana Ross. Like the, my mom was very okay. much a, a, like if you could think of somebody that's ever performed at Studio 54, my mom was a big fan. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> it's it's weird cuz uh I actually talk about this with my wife a lot uh because I was raised in a very unorthodox household. I'm I, we like to joke that like I'm the gayest straight person that she knows because I like I grew up with that like with that kind of uh culture in my house. Like it was very much like a oh you know Studio Fifty Four like the Ritz like my family is mm. like it's super gay. Hey, we love to see it. Yeah, no, I d- I do. I will say you know being being in the future and looking back on it, uh, I'm I'm happy that that's the way that I was exposed to all that stuff because uh, it's way easier to grow up not a homophobe when you know that <laughs> right they're just regular people (laughs) and don't deserve all of this like fake bullshit put on them by right-wing weirdos with a i don't want to say a fetish but it feels like a fetish at this point uh the way that they describe them you know yeah yeah so for me uh anita baker was always played in my house you know that that like funny black trope like saturday mornings anita baker gets put on like as soon as you hear anita baker on a saturday morning you know it's time to clean it's time to clean yeah it's a real thing. Like, it is an actual thing. Like, as soon as Anita get, Anita Baker gets put on the... the My mom had her, had her on vinyl. Yeah. Uh, as soon as that got played, you know, it's time to get up and start mopping some floors. Well, <laughs> um, it's funny because for us, you know, like, I'm I'm Hispanic. So for us, it was like uh, La India or uh, Elvis Crespo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, similar similar um, vibes. But, like, my my dad was a jazz musician. So for me... What? Like, did I? Do you not know this? No. Oh yeah, my my dad was a jazz trumpeter, trumpeter, trumpeter. We'll he played trumpeter. the trumpet. He was a brass um, man. Yeah, and he passed it along to all of us. Like, I am trained in the trombone. Uh, my sister's trained in the saxophone. Either my either my brother played the saxophone or my, one of the two of them. Um, and then my other sister played the trumpet. Yeah, we we are all jazz musicians in our own right yo hell yeah and it and it and it came from my dad and i was actually coincidentally thinking about this yesterday i was in some store and he sort of just popped in my head randomly and i was like the song that always reminds me of my father is and like i said born in 1999 so i don't know anything about this music but of course you um this song that always resonates with me is Santorini by Yanni. Wow. <laughs> I know, deep ass pull. Um, but specifically the it specifically from the album Live at the Acropolis, uh, I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, how old I was when he first played it for me. And that like that song just goes hard as fuck for me. Um, and it's just the one song that I always remember of my dad, but like his, his, one of his favorite musicians is Kenny G. So like I have Kenny G's entire discography, like, uh, Anita Baker from my mom. Like those are my, when I think of my parents and music, it's always Kenny G and Anita Baker for me. Kenny G's a funny one because I think of him kind of the same way I do of Michael Buble. But he doesn't sing. Well, no, just in the sense of just like. I see him and I, 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 I don't get it. Interesting. You know, he's supremely talented, but a lot of his, I guess, 
trajectory was due to his hair. Like he was a white man with a whole jerry curl. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, that doesn't bother me. I love a white man with a jerry curl. Uh, I, I believe, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think of all my favorite white wrestlers that have had jerry curls. Ravishing Rick Rude was one of my favorite wrestlers, and that was a white man with a jerry curl. Mr. Perfect, I believe, at one point had a jerry curl real quick. Like it wasn't, you know. Mm. Uh, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Uh, did, uh, who's the sl- snap into the gym, slap into a Slim Jim dude? Oh, Macho Man? The Macho Man Randy oh, Savage? No, did, he never he never had a Jerry Curl. No, no, no. Oh, Mark uh, Mark Moreau. Another... Now you're just saying names. Listen, these are all famous wrestlers. I promise you there's like one person out there that's just like, oh yeah, that guy did have a Jerry Curl. <laughs> like, if you say so. Trust um, me. So yeah, those are those are the two for me. Um, but yeah, there's no way in in hell that I could ever be overexposed to, to Anita Baker. I don't get it how... She's literally like, I will never listen to this lady again in my lifetime. And I'm like, you're missing out on so much. It's like being overexposed so to Nina Simone. Right. Like this, what a what an odd overexposure. Fun fact, and I don't know if you know this, but when Anita Baker was like trying to get into the music world, she was told that she has one of the worst voices on the planet, and and no one would listen to her music, and she should stop immediately and top five to this day one of top five best jazz musicians i couldn't or imagine. mainstream jazz musicians yeah <laughs> imagine, yo imagine being anita baker and somebody telling you that like that's right? wild you know shout out to anita baker shout out to anita baker and shout out the shout out to the, all the, the generation shout out to all the uh the beautiful soul jazz singers actually it, now that i'm thinking about it i do have a comparison story to to yours was um i had a i had a friend from college that preferred jill scott over erica badu because she thought that erica badu was oh. overrated and overexposed and i was just like yo listen i'm not going to say that she isn't overexposed we do have a lot more erica badu to draw from than we do Jill Scott, but we are not gonna do we're not gonna say overrated about about Badu. That is interesting. Hmm. So I'm about to make a very controversial statement. No, do it. That's why we're here. And I might get dragged online for it, but it's okay. My my mentions are constantly in a free fall. Um <laughs> I think and this is my opinion. This is not fact, this is my opinion. And we respect opinions around here, people. Let's let's keep it cute. I feel similarly about Erica Badu as I do Lauren Hill. <gasps> oh no, I don't like where this is going. I think that both supremely talented. I I will never deny one thing. I will never deny is somebody's talent. I I always base how I feel about people on their talent. I like. However. I think Erica Badu has been coasting on one song for the last 20 years. <gasps> All right. I'm actually going to have to fight you. <laughs> what song? Not Tyrone. What? I I think that song has... That's the that's the song that you're that you're using for the coasting, not Bag Lady? No, I don't think Bag Lady remotely comes close to Tyrone in <gasps> in like popularity. No. 
but yeah. it has like the, one of the most famous little riffs of all time just like that little that little da, 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 like that little lick oh my god yeah not for me at least um i think she has been and and like i love window seat i think that album is also great oh my god yo that album i i i do feel like she released this song and it blew up and much like the miseducation of lauren hill she was like oh i don't really have to make anything great again but all she did was make great because tyrone came out tyrone came out what after mama's gone isn't tyrone 1996 99 it was so the thing is i think that tyrone is a b-side because it's not on baduism and it's not on mama's gun i i'm not saying that i have to be right I think I'm it's a B saying, side. That's what that's why I'm saying. Like it's crazy to me that like you would it's consider okay. it's ninety seven. Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. Like it's crazy that you're that you're saying that about Tyrone, but like that was like a B side off of a single, I think. It wasn't even like on one of her albums and it's like one of I guess it is like one of her but, most favorite songs. That is true. But like I'm I, just thinking I it, think Yeah. I just think that it, it blew up like it it is it's her mean girls. It's her most quotable song. Okay. And I think that came out, came out, it blew up, and I don't think anything she's released since then comes close to it. Um, and, and not to say that her music isn't good, that is not what I'm saying. I just think that everything, I think a lot of times you always want your successor to, to be better than the predecessor, right? Right. And... I don't think much of what she's released comes close to that and she is it doesn't feel like she has tried much since that song came out. I got to say and, like you saying that and much like Lauren Hill. Yeah. Much like Lauren Hill, Miseducation came out, it won all the Grammys, it it won album of the year, did all the things and then she's tried to release more but it's it's never felt as impactful or or like her heart was in it like i don't know again i don't have to i do not necessarily have to be right this is just my opinion I, okay i am that I'm, white lady from the real housewives it's I just my say, opinion i'm i'm <laughs> i'm reeling right now because like and i will i will lead this with i'm very biased because erica badu to me might be my favorite soul singer of all time and like it i feel like a lot of it comes from there's this like there's this sultriness to her voice and like i'm i'm not going to explain myself too much i just i really love Erica Badu. like i grew up listening to her I, stuff i get it same but i'm just thinking like the amount of effort that and she might not have put it into worldwide underground but i'm just thinking about new america's part 1 and 2 and just like the impact that they had on me as somebody that was like transitioning back from uh because I used to be like I used to be like a hip hop kid like I I loved hip hop and rap and R&B and then there mm-hmm. was a phase of my life where I kind of hated everything and then I only wanted to listen to metal as I got older I kind of moved out of that because I'm a drummer so I was just like listen I love banging these cans as much as anybody else, but I wanna I wanna go back into developing a groove, 
and I looked specifically towards Erica Badu's albums because there are so many like there's so much depth to all of her music that and you know you could say that this is on her but also on her producers but like there's so much variability between all of her albums because like if you listen to Baduism pure R&B you know you're not getting any mm-hmm. anything out of that except for like you know very like Afrocentrism like wearing the head wrap you're gonna get a lot of like soul soulful earth child music but like as soon as it goes into Mama's Gun like it starts out with penitentiary philosophy and there's just this level of like power that just kind of doesn't let up for half of that album and that's just Mama's Gun which I think is like widely regarded to be like her greatest work but but you're you're you are biased you you love her yeah so i think you're to be fair i love not... i love most musicians like there's nobody that i'm gonna like i'm not like uh i'm not a stan for erica badu you're not gonna see me like argue against jill scott it's just like for me like one versus the other i i think it's crazy to say that erica is overrated when she deserves all the rating that she got like that woman is powerful Right, I don't. I don't think she's overrated. I just think she has coasted on the one song that that is her her opus, and yeah. nothing she's made since has been as impactful or or as as uh, I don't want to say influential, but it nothing really comes close. That's you know I'll concede that. And now she's given into like being more of an online presence, and you know she she's interacting with folks on on Twitter very regularly, and you know I I think the music has sort of fallen off in a sense. In well, a she hasn't um, she hasn't put out music since like twenty ten. Twenty ten, twelve. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah. Oh, um, sorry. No, she yeah she had uh she had two mixtapes in twenty fifteen apparently. But th- I think that and was like who her. Who knew about that? That was was that her when she was doing the um, it was uh Erica Badu and like the cannabinoids or something. Do you remember that? Oh, it was like shit. her. It nope. was like an all an all an all electronic like uh DJ group where it's just like a bunch of dudes with laptops and her instead of having a live no, band. No idea. Yeah, she did have she. I think it was like the second to last Afropunk that she performed with the cannabinoids. Hmm. So anyway, I, I'm not saying that she's she's not great, but I just feel like the, the, the music has fallen off and she hasn't given us anything nearly as amazing, both socially and I guess musically uh, since Tyrone. And I think she's just been coasting on that that one song, um, much like Lauren Hill has coasted on Miseducation. Yeah. I feel bad about that. Because, More people should listen and, to Erica. And, and it, it's wild because, to be fair, like when she when she performs, you know, whenever it is that she does perform, like we go up for Tyrone. Like everybody waits for that song because it it does impact us in a in a way differently than a lot of her other music. Like that is that is her opus, and everything since has just sort of fallen flat. So. That is that is all I will say on Erica Badu. I think she's great and I love her music, but that is all I'll say on that. Erica, 
if you are hearing this please don't please don't put a root on me mama i love you i i just i have opinions i also love you and i'll defend you to the death also um if you see salim tell him i said what up is that her son no uh that's uh <laughs> actually an old classmate of mine who became like a fairly uh famous dancer he has like a he basically has like his own uh dancing style it's like uh i think he calls it like mutant street dancing or something he he like bends his body in really weird ways uh he's professionally known as storyboard p but um oh, nice. yeah it's it's kind of funny cuz like looking back like he's been doing this stuff since we were in school together like so for him to continue on that legacy he actually dance battled omarion once it was really weird fun oh actually um yeah. You know that Picasso baby performance that he did, uh, that um, that Jay Z did at the Met, was it? I know you are not asking me about Jay Z. I don't know. Uh, well, anyways, uh, he did he did a live performance of Picasso baby, um, and there's a famous uh, GIF of him uh, doing like uh, trigger fingers with a younger black man. Um, it's like it's a whole clip in the music video but uh that's actually that's a uh, storyboard that's Salim. nice yeah so he 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 know. gets he gets around or rather he got around at some point in the um mid 2010s i don't oh. know what he's up to right now but i know they uh she recorded a couple of videos with him once and uh that was crazy to me like i actually <laughs> i texted him like immediately after i was just like uh you know erica badu what is this right on but yeah um well well uh miss fat belly Bell. Fat belly, Bella. Bella, tongue twister. Please don't, please don't put a curse on me. I, I, I do still love you. Put a curse on him. It'll be awesome. No, we don't. Listen, I'm already having a rough time. Oh yeah, it, sorry. No, it wouldn't be awesome. Um, sorry. <laughs> and on that note, let's jump into the topic. Talk about some cartoons. Yeah, let's talk about one specific cartoon that has a live action that has sent Twitter into a frenzy, a civil war. Wait, Let's talk about a cartoon that has a movie that has a live action show. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Avatar came out, uh, The Last Airbender. When so disclaimer or not disclaimer, uh warning. I don't I don't know what we should call it, but whenever we talk about Avatar, nobody is talking about the blue people. Sorry. It's always the last airbender. Sorry, James Cameron. Nobody ever is talking about the blue people. We're not. We're not talking about the blue people. Anyway, uh, yeah, The Last Airbender, the live action, came out. Um, you know, children of the 2000s, um, children who were born in 1999, uh-huh. uh, have been patiently and eagerly waiting for the release of this uh, live action adaptation of of The Last Airbender. And I gotta say, I'm surprised that somebody born in 1999 that you have the emotional attachment to Avatar that you do. And I, I was mature for my age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so far, I've made it through three episodes, and it yeah, it came out to some really mixed reviews. And I've seen like a few clips going around online, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, the acting is trash, and the acting is this and that, and and why are they all children?" What do you and, mean? And I was like, "Do we?" Did we forget that Aang is 12 years old? So that's the, that's the thing. Like, I think because the cartoon was voiced by adults. Adults, yeah. A lot of times we conflate that the actual story is about a 
group of 12 to 15 year olds i think zuko no uh 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 who's the brother i've already forgotten his name sokka sokka sokka's the oldest one and he's only like 15 yeah so i think a lot of times people are like well it was voiced by adults so we just automatically age them up so it's really interesting to see that discourse about how like people are like i don't i don't understand why they're so immature no because they're fucking kids man that's insanity yeah i watched the first three episodes and honestly it's good it is it's quite good um, i went in i went in like, a little tense but you know i try not to be a purist about a lot of things the only thing that i've the only adaptation that i ever went in and was like hands down a purist about was the power rangers reboot and even that blew my mind so i try not to to based on that i try not to go in with a lot of expectations anymore i try to just like give it as much grace as humanly possible and in the three episodes that i watched you know a lot of obviously when you're adapting like uh, cartoons and TV shows into film or vice versa like or books into film anytime an adaptation occurs there has to be like a level of like condensing uh-huh. um, because not everything translates the same way you know what's, what works in a cartoon may not work in a film it's um, honestly and vice versa what, it's honestly better in... that they didn't do it shot okay. for shot because that's a that's a insanely large undertaking, and I feel like if if you do too much, yeah. then that's when you start to expose yourself a little bit, or at least expose your limitations. Well, I think somebody, I think like people were complaining about how they were going to condense a lot of the material and make it a little bit more streamlined, and I think somebody on Twitter like did the math, like book one has like 26 episodes or something like that. I forget exactly the number, um, but they're like 30 minute episodes, which is really like condensed into 22 or 24 minutes. So you do that math. Like the show only has eight episodes, but it's eight hour episodes. There's more, there's more time allotted to the Netflix show than there was to the cartoon. So people are complaining about them condensing it when actually we're getting more time to explore this universe than we were given in the original yeah. show. So I thought that was a really it, interesting thing. But yeah, it, I, it Well, go I was I was going to I was just going to uh piggyback off of what you were saying in that the way that they the way that they found a a good way to condense some of this stuff like as opposed to do we say spoilers? Spoilers. Spoilers, big spoilers. Spoiler I'm going to say spoilers um, maybe for, like, the, I guess the rest of the episode because we're going to be talking about the first three episodes of of, of the live action. Yeah, if, if you don't want to hear, I would stop yeah. listening now. Um, we're giving you one this more is chance. your last chance. Okay. All right. Uh, so putting, putting Jet in so early and combining it with so the... Early, uh, yeah. w- with what I'm assuming is going to be... Uh, Ang meeting Boomy, right? Combining those two uh, things into one town, one city, and then also uh, Zuko infiltrating the town as well. Like you're basically combining like f- three different mini arcs and putting it <laughs> into uh, one episode, which is fantastic because 
it gives right. everybody something yeah. to do. Aang is dealing with the Boomy situation. Sokka and Katara are dealing with uh, Jet and all of that stuff. And uh, Zuko is having right. his little mini arc while he's trapped in the uh, little Earth Kingdom town. There's Avomashu, not Basensei. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of confusion. Yeah, Omashu. Um, as a, apparently they were they're changing something about bossing say which i don't really want to think about because maybe there's a little bit more than a problematic way to look at the way that bossing say is portrayed in the uh, animated series um but i i actually i did mm -hmm. want to talk about that uh after after this point but there is the way that they're condensing everything so that way you get an idea of who all of the characters are so that they can just let the story play out the main story that actually matters you know all of the little side quests that the that the that the gang gets into very fun you know i'm not going to say that it's not worth uh taking yeah. a look at because there are some pretty uh, nice feats of animation in that series. Yeah. The, the the live action doesn't need that because they're trying to get a whole story across, like a real, you know, they're trying to right. do the whole, like, Avatar versus Fire Lord Ozai thing. And, you know, in order to get there, you're going to have to skip some of the, uh, oh, hey, uh, Momo's collecting fruits in this episode. You know, you got to skip those. Part of me would really like to see sort of a shot by shot version of the show because you know the the original show is is three seasons right and i kind of don't want it to end you know so i i kind of would would have liked to see them sort of do a one for one of the entire season but you know one we have to worry about you know money yep. right that which is probably the biggest issue right so i'm i'm doing my best not to judge it from that lens like i know that it it, it has to end and i know we're likely not going to get more than i think it would be amb ambitious if we got four seasons which i doubt we will no they um, they should keep it to they should keep it really, to three I seasons do. i think that they could do all the books in each in each season especially cuz they introduced azula so early and I'm like Right, and Azula doesn't come in until like the book end one. of book oh. two, right? I thought it was the she end of book one. book one. No, because she's in book two. She's just like she's more of like a uh, a brooding figure, and then book three is like when they like full on mm. go Azula. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, you, you very well could be right. It's been a long time since I watched the whole thing, but yeah, I, I kind of don't want it to end. I, it's it's been like a little bit of a hug, you know, to my childhood yeah. self. Um, or at least my my teenage self. I encourage people to watch this show. Like the first episode, I cried three times, and I I was sitting there like, why is this happening? Like the the scene where where uh, uh, who's his mentor? I'm really bad with names when it comes to TV shows. Um, Gyatso, when he's like at the temple and he realizes Gyatso is dead, I like I sat there. Balling, and then the woman, uh, Earthbender—not Earthbender, Airbender—one um, of the leaders, uh, when she's in her like tornado, and the Fire Nation turns it from a tornado into a, a fire vortex. I was just like, she only had one line, but they like gave her so much depth, and and like, and then just killed her off. I sat there right. balling. Well, but yeah, I I encourage people to to. I was gonna say, uh, I also, I I didn't think that I was gonna uh, shed any tears for this show, 
because like you know n nostalgia is a drug and i think that uh i was fine for like the first five minutes up until the intro and then instead of doing a generic old man with a beard they used straight up kiyoshi to explain the the history of the four nations and i was just like mm. oh yeah okay yeah, definitely, definitely not in tears. <laughs> like, uh, doing it with Kiyoshi instead of a generic uh, no-name avatar, or uh, who's the um, who's the fire the fire avatar? What was his name again? Uh, right, uh, doing it instead of uh, instead of with uh, Roku, like making Kiyoshi like the like the kind of anchor in in the world, very. Not the, yeah. not how I thought it was going to go, but I think that it's a good way to build up uh, Kiyoshi's value for when they do the animated series for yeah. Kiyoshi, which is honestly what I'm excited for more. Like, the live action has been very fun so far, uh, and... Wait, they're, they're doing a Kiyoshi show? That was something that was supposedly in the works. It was going to be the adult, uh, the adult team avatar and oh, right, uh, right, right. Kiyoshi yes. were going to run... Uh, concurrently with each other, I believe. Yeah. Uh, at least that was that was the rumor. I do still hope that that's what they're doing because as much as as much as I enjoyed Korra, I would like to have seen some of the stuff that happened in between Team Avatar and uh, the Age of Korra. Yeah. Uh, Korra, I think, is going to be something w that will really, if they decide to do a live action of that, that one I'm going to be seated for day one. Yeah. Really? I have I have very strong feelings about Korra. All right. Well, I'll let you have that. I she never did it for me. Really? But but you know we're not here to talk about Cora. We're talking yeah. About we're Aang. talking about Aang. I I do have a few like gripes, and they're very yeah. Small. Go for it. And this is as someone who has worked in entertainment, someone who has worked in television, because I'm primed with all of this like background knowledge. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch anything without like seeing where things could have been improved or just like really unrealistic things so uh we watched me and my fiance we watched it last night and the first thing that that sort of not pissed me off but i was just like this was unnecessary was they changed the intro only to put the intro just like later into the episode as like a storytelling right. device but i was just like you basically just change the phrasing of the original intro when you could have just put in the original intro like i don't think having it repeated later on in the episode would have affected things that drastically okay um i just thought it was a really really odd choice to basically take out words and replace them with other words only to say the same thing so that was the first thing that sort of ticked me off the second thing and, and me and Gerson sort of looked at each other at the same time and we were just like and we busted out laughing uh, if you notice Katara and Sokka's clothes are pristine like no dirt no like tatters they are very nothing. clean they outfits are, they are clean as fuck and I was like this is a little this takes me out of the fantasy because if this were real life you know they're influenced by I believe Inuit tribes yes and Inuit tribes are typical, from my understanding, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they are they are hunters. These are people who are in nature. Granted, it is in the snow, but like they they are, their hands are in nature, and they're they're doing the things. Well, so, tundra, like, see, the tundra, the tundra still has dirt, you know. 
Right. To see their clothing just be so pristine all throughout the three episodes, at no point does does any of their clothing get dirty. And I was just like, but but Sokka's face has dirt all over it, and like he gets hit with with fire. And then the very next episode, they're wearing the same shit, and it's it's back to being pristine. I no, like, no burn marks. This, this is not real. This is not realistic at all. Um, they were like, oh, this wardrobe budget is staying intact. Oh yeah, uh, crispy custom. And then my third gripe, which is probably the biggest for me, and and you may think differently, but this is a two parter. Um, I think the this version of Katara and the way the actress is is portraying this version of Katara will not be so much a direct one-to-one mirror of the Katara that we saw in the show. She'll act it so well that this will sort of be the standard of Katara going forward. I think she's making this version very much her own and 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 like attacking it through her own interpretation of of Katara what do you think um I actually not only do I agree I actually I'm not gonna say I prefer this Katara to the original but I think I do a little bit um because this is going to go into something that I want to talk about after you finished your point but making Katara a little bit more stoic than childish and making Sokka also a little bit more unsure of his own ability and questioning himself as a warrior because they're both essentially uh, results uh, of genocide. You know, they're they're children of genocide. Yeah. And in that time, you don't have time to bicker as like, you know, like you're a girl, you can't do things boys can because Sokka sees... Sokka, within the lore of the series, has seen firsthand what happens to all the men of his village. They all get killed by the Fire Nation. The women are forced to bear the uh, the burden of caring for the village. You know, this is a this is a young man that was raised uh, mostly by women and cared for by his sister, even though he is the older brother. Right. And I think that that was one criticism that people had of the show online that I thought was really stupid. Because they were like, you know, we're actually not making Sokka annoying and misogynistic. And then people going, yeah, but then how can he have character development? And it's just like, well, character development doesn't necessarily have to happen in front of you. Character development could be something that's happened already. And you're seeing the results of that and helping you understand why Sokka wouldn't have dumb misogynist views. Because most of his village is women and children. And seeing all the men in his village die doesn't make you resentful of women. It makes you unsure of yourself as a man because you're not quite a man yet. And you're wondering what your value is when you weren't old enough to be one of the ones that died fighting and not young enough to have the excuse of I was a child. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, I really didn't think that I was going to get into the series. And although like... Yeah, it's not the animated series. Yeah, sometimes it's a little cheesy, but I'd rather have yeah. my I'd rather have my live action be also cheesy than to just beef it trying to play the story straight, you know? Right. I I want there to be like children acting like children. There should be slightly bad acting because, you know, this isn't being directed by like uh, Martin Scorsese, you know, like these are these are people that are just interpreting an animated series the best way that they can, 
in a way yeah. that is clearly loving. You know, like these people really like the series to to be yeah. directing them this way. You're not wrong. But you you wrong. you had a second and, point. Well, yeah. So alternatively to Katara, and I, I like I said earlier, I try not. I'm trying very hard not to be a purist about this, but I. I do think there are certain elements of the show that do need to remain very true, not truthful, but respectful to the source content. And where I'm having difficulty with that is with the portrayal of Iroh. I feel like this version of Iroh is a little frenetic and maybe chaotic is not the right word, but the way he talks in the live action versus in the show, like this version is very fast. And, you know, one thing I, 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 I noticed is when talking to Zuko, this version is very like, Zuko, relax. Everything will be fine. Have some jasmine tea. Whereas in the 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 cartoon, he's a lot more serene and calm and the delivery of his lines are slower. So in in the cartoon he's more like, Zuko, relax. Have some jasmine tea. Like that do, do you see the the difference? Yeah, yeah. Am I making it up? Do no, no, I don't up? think so. But that so, also that I think that there's something to that that is the the pacing of the series that they can't have somebody basically be a cool stoner uncle. But see, I think it's important to keep that aspect because it's of Iro. Oh, absolutely. It's in, yeah, it's integral to who he is as a character. Um this version is a little bit different for me and I'm having trouble sort of not relating it to the to the original and I'm try, I'm trying very hard to not be a purist about it but I don't know that I like this version of Iron No there and, are some and I was excited for this actor Yeah there are some character beats that that absolutely should stick and I agree with you 100% I was really excited for this actor and you know, Iroh is, is such a standout character in the show. And, like, I get glimpses of the original here and there. And I think as the show, like, we've only watched three episodes, but as the show goes on, I think he'll get there, or at least my my, my standard of there. Um, but right now I'm just a little, like, I'm a little disappointed. So, yeah, those are my, like, three points, you know, where where I'm looking forward to like a new interpretation of Katara. I don't know that I'm I'm looking forward to a new interpretation of Iroh. Well, Iroh also has a lot of um emotional cachet in the series that we came up True. with. You know, I while you were saying that, I was just thinking like there's no way that they're going to do the episode about him telling the story of his son and doing the uh, tea ceremony and, and the remembrance ceremony for his son. There's no way they're going to do that episode because he doesn't he doesn't have the, at least not yet, he doesn't have the, uh, the character trait of someone that is serene because they've experienced such a great loss that it's changed their outlook because there's a reason why Iroh is referred to as the dragon, like he's the dragon of that family because he used right. to be their most vicious fighter. And after he lost his yeah. son in a senseless battle, that changes you as a person when you realize that you've been a dragon all your life and you've essentially sacrificed your son to a war machine that was never really going to end. It was just going to continue conquering infinitely, which goes into 
the my gripe and it's my only gripe of of the series because everything else to me i'm just kind of like letting wash over me you know it's a new interpretation it's going to happen whether i want it to or not and that's fine the only thing that bothered me about the series is it's a lot more apolitical than the original is and the only reason the only things that i'm observing from it that make me feel this way are the the way that everybody is being presented as is these are characters in a story and you are going to experience this story as quick as we can give it to you in one season and that's fine there are beats in the animated series where you kind of get an idea of where people are at uh socially in the world that the fire nation rules over i'm thinking specifically about jet uh, yeah and uh not only jet but ang realizing you know that the weight of him being the last airbender is not just because of the fact that he's the last airbender but now he doesn't have the people that he used to lean on as as an airbender to help him through his time over being forced into the mantle of of the avatar you know something that he was preparing for before the air nation was attacked and there's so much that could be said and i think that i could relate this to the last episode where we talked about um like the mutant metaphor and for me i i would say the same of the uh the various metaphors that are in avatar where you know you have the inuit people that as where they live is a home of scarcity of extreme rough living and yet somehow the fire nation still decided that they needed to conquer both of the water tribes the northern and southern water tribes when they don't bother anybody they don't get involved in anybody's politics you see the earth kingdom the fire nation uh interact more more than anybody else like because they are the two opposing nations but the air nomads are very much uh they're also a race of people that just don't like they don't intervene in world politics they just kind of get on with living and you know they're very like if you could compare them to anybody it would be like to what uh the american interpretation of tibet is versus what it meant to china which leads to my second weird political thing bossing say is supposedly not going to be the uh scary place that it is in the animated series and i feel like a lot of that has to do with kowtowing to uh china over the very obvious simile (laughs) between the way that americans treat uh china as a country you know, being like, you know, like, they have a social credit score and, like, they take you away if you say bad things about the government, which may or may not be true, but I would like you to point out to me where they don't do that here in the U.S. C.C. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. I mean, well, if if you look at the way that uh, January 6th went down, you know, that one January 6th, mm-hmm. uh, versus any time that somebody you tried to... that was three years ago? I can't. It's so weird that that even happened, but... When you relate that to uh, people that were organizing in their own towns, in their own uh, peoples, like just look at every uh, black revolutionary, every uh, black political prisoner, 
when you look at Mandela, he was just trying to free his people from a literal racist nation state. Uh, when you look at right. Martin Luther King, who was trying to free his people from a literal, like, a racist white government. When you look at uh, Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton literally betrayed by a black man because they had dirt on that black man. You know, not for nothing, you can talk about all of China's wrongs and how they treat certain political prisoners. When you look at what they did in order to get there, uh, the reason why communism happened in the first place over there, and why it's not a communist country anymore, like, I beg of y'all, please look up the definition of communism. China is a big capitalist country. They're a huge capitalist country. They just use socialist policies in order to uh, help their people. Something that I think that America should idealize as well, but they won't because everybody's too much of an individualist here. Not the point, not the point. But (laughs) (laughs) my point is, is that you see how I gleaned all that, and these are all things that I grew up watching in the animated series that I was just like, damn, I guess that is kind of jingoistic as an adult. The fact that they're making the series more apolitical instead of showing the causalities of those policies enacted, why the Fire Nation became imperialists, which they are kind of addressing, or why Bossing Say would be such a um, like walls up, we don't let anybody in or anybody out type of place. Like the the conditions that led to those countries, th- I wish that they would kind of go into that. And you know, like you said, only three episodes in. Maybe they will. Uh, if they don't do it here, they might do it the second season. If they get a second season, I'm not sure if that's been confirmed already or not. But no idea. No art is apolitical. You're not wrong. You just gotta look. Well, shit. I mean, that's all I. That's all I got. What a thought. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I I feel bad because, like, I do. I know. I know that it's a children's series, but it's really hard to not look at these things and yeah. and go, why are they? Why are they spreading this message to children? What are we trying to say when the Earth Kingdom, which is a very obvious allegory for China, and the Fire Nation, which is a very obvious allegory for Japan, why are we living in this sinophobic way of looking at the world, even if it is a pretend world, and making our lead characters, the Inuits, who are mostly kind of a mystery because even among the Inuit tribes their like their cultures are not interchangeable with each other with these tribes you know everybody has like their own little thing going on and it's not like uh, before they decided to push them out of their homes or massacre them or convert them to Christianity that anybody was recording the the cultures of the Inuit people so you can use them as like your mystery people and the Tibetans some people that claim that they were removed from their land by China when they were just also part of an aristocracy and a monarchy that the new age of of Chinese culture was planning to move on without you know there's a uh, even like the like that whole the trope of like the mysteries of the Orient there's something there that just, you know, as opposed to presenting that to children, showing that these are real people, and then finding a way to weave that into the story is something that maybe too highbrow for Avatar The Last Airbender, but I always assumed, which is why I like Korra so much, because they 
they show things like uh what right. what capitalism does to a motherfucker, you know, like Yeah. 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 Right on. Now I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, on that note, what a way to, to end. <laughs> you are a lot. One thing I really appreciate about you is you're a lot more thought provoking and analytical about these things than I think I am. Thank you. I, I would have never like, I don't think that I would have paid attention to it that deep, but now it's something that I'm going to look for. And now it's, it's something that I'll, I'll I'm going to be cognizant of as I watch through this show. Well, considering... And, like, even going back to the original. Yeah, yeah. Good. Considering that uh, the theme for the next month is going to be us kind of doing deep dives into children's cartoons and sort of interpreting those things and the allegories and metaphors that they present to us as adults, I, I invite you, hold my hand, as we take this journey through children's television and analyze it through an adult lens, because I think that there's there's a lot to there's a lot to glean from television presented originally to children that you could really look at as what were they trying to tell us? What were they trying to teach us? What were they trying to indoctrinate into us? I think that there's a there's a lot to be learned from that. I can't wait till we t- talk about Steven Universe. Oh yeah, I'm very excited for that one. That one's gonna. I mean, I I wish you wouldn't have spoiled that, but yes, we will be talking about. Oh. Yeah. We can cut it out. No, 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 no. We're not. <laughs> uh, we're gonna be doing a uh, a double episode of Steven Universe and Adventure Time, and I think that we're gonna forego a lot of our regular uh, bochincha in the beginning of the episode to just kind of immediately jump into uh, talking about. You know, because they came out relatively around the same time. I think Steven Universe was a little later. Oh, I thought the opposite. But I, I no, no, no. Steven was Steven is a couple of years later than Adventure Time. All right, right on. I'm looking forward to it. This will be fun. Yeah, me too. March is going to be fun. One thing I am excited for about Avatar is based on the racial dynamics of the cast and the nations. It looks like Toph is going to be brown. Ooh, and I am so excited. That's going to be tough as hell. If it happens, it's going to get a lot of backlash, but if you hear it first before they cast Toph, I'm going to tell you right now, do you Googles? India and China literally share a border. There's so much interconnection between the histories of those two nations. I beg of you, understand that there is more to the world than just China, yellow person, India, brown person there are there there's more there's so much more i'm sorry go on i i'm just i'm excited for my favorite character to look like me yeah and be part of be from a nation that is somewhere along somewhere in my my lineage as well wait do you that's what you meant when you said brown no indian oh oh I thought you were. I thought you were saying yeah. like brown is in like maybe like sub-Saharan or something. Because I was going to say that would be an interpretation I would watch. Well, someone of the earth. No. Like if there's one thing that we know, people of the earth, Africa is very much an of the earth. True. Very true. No, but I, based on on what we've seen of the Earth Kingdom, I'm, I'm almost ninety nine percent positive that Tuff will be a brown person. That would be fantastic. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been at this for too long. Two whole hours. Look at it. Too long. It's not never too long. It's never too. Long. Oh no, not for me. I mean for our. I mean for our listeners. Like uh, from from you and I, I could do like four hours on this. But unfortunately, 
I got kids to feed. I got a dog to feed. I got a wife to feed. In the words of, in the words of Luther Vandross, it's never too much. Never too much. Never too much. But yeah, on that note, you've been on the Av. You have been on the Av. Thank you for being on the Av with us. Um, any anything else we should plug or say before we get out of here? Oh, uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Av seven one eight. That is T H E A A V E. 718 you can find me at kid zero s zero that is kid oso and you can find me at extra for robin that is at x t o f e r r o b n i don't remember if there's an underscore between the extra for and the robin but if there is then you know plug that in too you'll know when i'm you see so it. bad at branding i'm so bad at branding but yeah on that note um in the words of Bob Barker's Black Tether, spay and neuter your pets. And in the words of Jerry Springer, take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.